3: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, the four most important charts in the market following today's big sell-off. Each trader has the one thing they are watching, and why could tell us where we are headed next. Plus, a major trade alert, Karen trimming her position in one of the big banks. You heard that right. Karen is selling a bank why she's ringing the register on this name. And later, we're going bargain hunting following today's drop. Five names that are down double digits from the recent highs. Find out if any of them are beaten down by. But we start off With a major market meltdown, the Nasdaq plunging more than 2.5% to its lowest close in more than six weeks. The S&P and Dow also dropping more than 2% as inflation saw its biggest spike in 13 years. That inflation print taking the wind out of the sails of the tech trade. Look at some of the moves in some of the biggest names in the market, all down 2% or more today. So what do you make of the sell-off, Guy.
4: Well, I mean, I think we've, we started last night's show teasing the CPI today. First time we've ever done that in Fast Money history. You mentioned it, and we were obviously right to do it. I didn't think it would be anywhere near this. I mean, I thought it would be a hot number, but nowhere near the number we saw. And then you saw the subsequent move. What do I make of it? Well, all the things that we've been concerned about are coming home to roost. Whether or not these are temporary or not remains to be seen. I don't think they are. If you're looking for a line in the sand, you know, Sarah talked about it just before we came on air in terms of levels for the yields. I'll give you the TLT level. The March 18th low was 133.19. We're a couple handles away from that. You get through that, a close below 133, and I think it's a clear glide path to 2% in the 10-year. I obviously, I obviously think that's negative for the market. It remains to be seen if I'll be right.
3: You know, the CPI print was a CPI print, and the markets see what they want to see. In the CPI data, it was driven by spikes in used car prices, as well as spikes in airfare and hotel prices. All of these things seem to be transitory. They can certainly be explained away, Tim. So why do the markets come to the conclusion that this is not a transitory spike in inflation?
1: Well, because if you look at inflation, inflation break evens and we don't need to get too deep inside of baseball here on this um, effectively at around 255, 257 uh, inflation break evens are as high as they've been since 2005 when we were on the on the cusp of, you know, again, a commodity super cycle and asset bubble. Um, What's bothersome is what you see in terms of higher prices for for assets, for for, in some cases major assets like houses, and the Fed is still in the market buying MBS uh, mortgage-backed securities with, with two fists. Um, so there's a lot of elements of this. Look, the most, uh, I think, uh, impressive, and impressive is not necessarily what people want with inflation, um, are the month-over-month readings. I read Peter Buchvar's stuff all the time. He talked about um, just, you know, we all know that on the year-over-year basis, the comparisons can be, you know, pretty, pretty nasty in terms of, in other words, massive. We all know where we were a year ago, April. But it's the March to April, month-over-month, the pace, the delta, mm-hmm. the rise of inflation that we're seeing now, Um, I I think is what is concerning and it's and it's without necessarily getting the services inflation uh, and that maybe is your point Melissa that that again wait till we get that before we really lose it use car prices who cares we know people are going to their first hotel in a year Um, but I I I think that's not what this is and again core inflation readings are as high as they've been Mm -hmm. in 15 years
3: nothing worked today that was a curious thing about today's market right if you think that inflation is here nothing worked bonds didn't work stocks didn't work gold didn't work karen i mean it's sort of like a conundrum here Mm
5: -hmm. it is i mean there were a few pockets of, of things that worked i think energy maybe worked uh big cap pharma worked um uh but other than that no i mean you know when i talk about days where there's blood on the streets and some of it's my own for sure i mean you know i have big position in alphabet big position in uh uh, Facebook. Those clearly didn't work, although at the very, very end of the day, I did start to buy a little. I will look to buy some more tomorrow. I like days like this, not for the P&L, which is painful, but for the opportunity when people start to get, you know, really bent out of shape and things trade down in integers. I always talk about that being sort of a sign they're just throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And some of these things should have been down a lot, right? Um, they're still not at a valuation that I would find attractive. Some of the super high flyers. I started covering my A.G.V., I.G.V., clearly too early. But those names, I think, could come in further. But the value names, I don't know. I, I'm happy to start buying here. Even mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to pick the bottom. I know it. Yeah. But uh, I'm looking to buy. Yeah. Um, you mentioned value
3: names and, and what worked, which sh- I mean, Grasso, we had industrials, we had regional bank stocks. We, you know, these sectors were down two and a half percent still with rates higher. And right. so I'm wondering, you know, where do you, if you are a believer that the economy is hot, that interest rates are rising, what is the trade here? Because nothing worked today.
6: Well, if you say nothing worked, if you look at the XLE, the energy ETF, it's only off two percent from the recent highs. The XLF is only off four percent from the recent highs. The XLI, which is industrial, is only off 5% from the recent highs. Google is down 10% from its recent earnings spike. So you gotta stay in those three (laughs) things. They gotta stay in value. I would continue to rotate out of tech. Google is no way considered a high flyer. It's not overvalued, it's not a high multiple name, and they're coming after that. So anything that's tech, tech tech-related, they are shedding out of their portfolios. And they're buying value, I would stick there.
3: Is this proof, Guy, that this rotation in technology has a lot more pain ahead?
4: Well, I mean, I know Steve has been talking about this. I know for a fact Tim has. I mean, a lot of these, for example, I mean, these semi-stocks, they topped out. When we started talking about the shortage in chips, I mean, you can look. And for a lot of these names, Nvidia, which had a subsequent spike, I mean, that marked the top for a bunch of these names. So it's been fascinating to see the wind taken out of the sales of those months month and a half at least two months ago which is pretty fascinating is there more pain ahead it feels that way i mean look i do think rates are going higher i was shocked by the number today i actually thought we could see the yields back up a bit today on the back of what was going to be an inline number i was wrong but i think again through one thirty three in the tlt that's your line in the sand that gives us a a clear way to two percent i don't think these um... High-flying technology names are going to like that all that much.
3: Yields are, what, at 1.69% or so? Tim Seymour, we're not too Mm -hmm. far away from that high in March that we saw that really scared the markets. At this point, do you think the markets are assuming that interest rates are going higher with or without Jerome Powell?
1: Yes, and, and that's exactly right. And the market will do with uh, their expectations of inflation with what they want, not wait for the Fed. We know that. And, and why wouldn't we go higher based upon, albeit that jobs number of last Friday seems uh, like a very distant memory at this point. But, but the, the other readings we're getting and the readings we're getting on the economy and the reopening and, and you know, the dynamics around this, uh, everything in that inflation print and those subcomponents you talked about uh, tell us that the tenure should go higher. Uh, Again, I I don't want a 60 basis point 10-year. Would we be doing cartwheels today if the 10-year caved down to 130? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think we want to see the 10-year at 210, 220. uh, And I think equities ultimately will give something back. Remember, this isn't a a, a Tina moment. There there are other places to invest. uh, And I think that's part of what's going on here. So, uh, look, uh, a 3% move, a 4% move for the S&P after moving 26% since november uh, i'm not sure that this is the worst thing going and so far i don't like inflation uh, and this may be high core inflation this may be reflation but it's not high inflation it's not high inflation i want to repeat that so I- i'm not terribly distressed right now
3: all right well inflation or fear of inflation was what caused a cause of sell-off let's talk more about it bring in steve leesman the man who can answer the question do you think steve that the fed is increasingly feeling Boxed in, that it needs to start changing the language that it uses with the markets when it comes to inflation and its uh, and its time frame time frame for raising rates.
2: Um, I think the Fed is making a very bold call here on the economy and on inflation and how things are going to work. And knowing the way I think that central bankers think, I'm sure there's some doubt about that. But everything I hear, Melissa, suggests to me that they are not about to change their general idea, which is that this inflation is going to pass through the economy and that the key metric to figure out um, when and if it's time to change policy is more linked to the uh, jobs numbers and the overall growth and the uh, uh, recovery of the economy from the pandemic than it is to these uh, inflation numbers that it sees as temporary.
3: You know, Steve, I thought I knew what the word transitory means, but I'm not sure that I do in the, in the, in the way that the Fed uses it. So um, this is what got me thinking about what is transitory. I saw a tweet this morning from <clears throat> Northman Trader, um, otherwise known as Sven, to us. Um, but he tweeted this picture of an asteroid or maybe a meteor, meteor on, you know, on fire coming down to Earth with dinosaurs roaming the land, saying, is this a transitory event? meaning yes the meteor just flashed right by it took like one second but it also scorched the earth and created you know an extinct species so what is transitory in the feds view
2: well let me first quote art cash and melissa who (laughs) said once the end of the world happens only once is to trade you have to time very carefully so um, (laughs) i would just say that to your uh, meteor metaphor so to speak um Look, can I show you transitory? Let me yes, can you please. guys put up that airline prices chart that I that I have and you guys chew on this a little bit. I have a couple things to say about this. This is the index of airline fares. At its worst, they were down 30%. They've now come back to being down now about 16% from their high in February 2020. You can see there that jump that you just had up on the screen of 10% in the past month. We are still down from where we were February 2020. Now, if you wouldn't mind, this was uncalled for ahead of time, but if you could put up JETS, which is the airline ETF, you guys did not buy airline ETFs, which are up, by my estimation, 107% in the past year, without thinking that airline prices would come back. So I guess I'm answering your question, Melissa. This is the meteor you expect it to happen. I think a better metaphor is this, okay? which is that, you know how you go to a gun range and I'm thinking like Guy Adami and maybe Tim Seymour have done this before. And and somebody says, I'm about to fire this weapon. There's going to be a really loud noise. Don't freak out. Well, guess what happened today? The gun went off. You had a big inflation print because things like airlines came back, lodging away from home, which is still down from where it was. That came back. You heard a big boom and now you're freaked out. But guess what? A lot of the pricing in stocks was for this exact thing to happen. If you want to get back to where we were for the recovery, you've got to have a recovery of prices. So I'm not saying inflation is not something to worry about, something to put on your area of concern. I'm saying the freak out today, if it was about inflation, is perhaps a bit overdone.
1: So, Steve, you know, using your, your weapon and, and quoting the Grateful Dead, who I think you know, you know, William, T- William Tell stretched his bow till wind stretched stretch no more, uh, and furthermore, a- until a change had to happen. And, and I might have slightly paraphrased the last part, because that's what I think the Fed uh, is running into. They're, they're trying to create uh, possibly 30 or 50 or 70 basis points of inflation at the risk of an asset bubble. Does that make sense? It's
2: a good question. Um, and, and the quote is, uh, William, tell us, stretch his boat till it won't stretch no furthermore and or will require a change that hasn't come before, to be precise. Tim. Wow. Um, but that, <laughs> that, I
1: knew you would that, know that. that <laughs> oh, my God. Nice. <laughs>
2: That 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 said, yes, they're playing with fire. They're a little nervous. Guys like Rosengrant are a little bit nervous. But the question is whether or not this works through. You know, another metaphor, it's not a very seemly metaphor. You know, it's the anaconda digesting its meal right there. It passes through uh, in the worst sort of way, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, And it does risk an asset bubble. I can't tell you how to trade these crazy tech stocks. All I can tell you is that when I look, for example, at lumber futures, 50 percent of commodities are in backwardation. What does that mean? It means the price a year from now is below the price that you have today. And so the bet in the, in, in the markets right now is that this inflation passes through. I talked to a guy in the lumber market. He said to me that um, the, the, the mills are just not running up to speed. I just talked to Phil LeBeau. Available seat miles are thirty percent below where they were in two thousand and nineteen, so how do you play that in terms of inflation? They bring these back, you get a little bit of pricing power in there, but does it mean continuous ten percent rises in airline fares i don 't think so
4: yeah steve i 'm with you i 've actually been to a gun range. I went to one in wyoming I, It was pretty cool actually i'd never shot a gun before, but that 's neither here nor there. But what I will say, and I know you know this so i'm'm not, I'm not breaking any news but you know, that gunshot, I mean, from the, from the sound it makes leaving the gun to the target is transitory. But the damage it does to the target or to the watermelon or whatever it's shooting at is permanent in a lot of cases. That, I guess that's the point. Could the damage done waiting to get through transitory be permanent or so, uh, so bad that it impairs the economy for years to come?
2: definitely some risk of that guy, and you cannot dismiss it. I don't think the Fed is dismissing it. Uh, you had comments today from Clarida who said, if you get inflation, a change in inflation expectations, and by the way, that's the target they're watching. If you want to know what the Fed is thinking, watch, I think it's Friday of the University of Michigan, inflation expectations. There's a new metric out from the Fed that I just started studying today that aggregates some of the inflation expectations data. That's kind of like their inflation dashboard. That's the damage. The damage to, to the broad psyche of consumers that believe tomorrow or not not just tomorrow next year and then three years prices will go higher that's what they're worried about but right now the way they look at it three four and five year forward inflation expectations are relatively under control if there's real damage to that guy i believe the fed will act and those are the things to watch to know if there is real damage
3: not to harp on this whole transitory thing, Steve, but I'm not sure I got an answer out of you. You're going to give me the that meteor, again? Give
2: me no, the meteor I, again? No, also? I've left
3: the meteor by the wayside at this point. <laughs> yeah. But is the implication here that we need to get back to pre-COVID <laughs> levels in order and, and whatever that time frame is, that's transitory? Because I, I that think Because that means so. that we're I going higher said, and we're staying there, which to
2: me is not transitory. Let me, well, no, that's right. That's probably right. That's not wrong. But that's not inflation, right? If you get back, so put up that airline every, chart again. So everything that happens between that now level, and
3: there is not inflation.
2: Well, it's not, it's not the, the second or third derivative of inflation. You right. get a 10% increase. If you get 12% increase, then you have accelerating inflation. Right. Now, I just want to call up a spreadsheet that I made earlier today, Melissa, and I figured out, okay, so 0.7% of the increase today was simply base effects. You had yeah. a fall-off. Of the decline from the pandemic so what does that mean it means that if if inflation rose did not rise at all from march to april you still would have had 0.7 percent inflation that goes away i'm going to tell you in a second here beginning in july is when that starts to go and reverse the other way when those negative base effects roll out so you start to get a positive thing in july And then let me just spin a scenario for you. So it means a pretty hot summer. It means we're going to be having this discussion, which I, by the way, love having, for several months to come. But if you think about schools reopening in September, some of that uh, 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 capacity like airlines and lumber mills being brought back online, Mm -hmm. unemployment benefits running out in September to bring people back to work. By the fall, we should begin to have both a more normalizing economy and hopefully prices normalizing by then. Transitory, I think I'd put September down as the end and upper limit of my tolerance for transitory.
3: Hey, Steve, thank you. You always have the answers. Steve Leesman. Uh,
2: I'll try. <laughs> thank you.
3: It's going to feel like a long way, though, Steve, from now until September, if this is the way the market acts whenever we get an inflation print. <laughs> you
2: Steve add Grosso. climate change, and we've got a summer of inflation, <laughs> and it's a hot summer.
3: All right. Leisman, thanks. Grasso, I'll go to you. Two Steves, my error. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I thought he was gone. So I I think we're in that Goldilocks, as I mentioned before, with rates. And and it was shocking to me that we did not tick above the 1.74% in the 10-year while it felt like Rome was burning in the equity market. I think we are in that sweet spot. I think we're going to be okay. I think the market will bounce. The S&P bounced right off the 50-day right where it should. I think there's a lot of panic. Karen said it before, baby out with the bathwater. I think everyone is selling everything and then checking what they own at the end of the day. Stick with your, with your uh, reflation trades. Stick with the economy reopening. This was a man-made, uh, a man-made event that we had. We shut down our own economy. People will be getting back to work. Supply and demand will catch up with each other. I think this is a lot of panic.
3: All right. We've got some breaking news here in the Colonial Pipeline. Eamon Jabbers has got the latest. Eamon.
7: Melissa, Colonial Pipeline is saying that it has begun the restart process on its pipeline that's disrupted the gas supply up and down the east coast of the United States. Here's a statement from Colonial uh, at 5.10 p.m. Uh, They're saying Colonial Pipeline initiated the restart of pipeline operations at approximately 5 p.m., so that's about just about 20 minutes ago now. They say following this restart, it will take several days for the product delivery supply chain to return to normal. Some markets served by Colonial Pipeline may experience or continue to experience intermittent service interruptions during the startup period. Colonial will move as much gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel as is safely possible and will continue to do so until markets return to normal. So that's the statement from Colonial. They are restarting right now. Uh, clearly, Colonial feels confident that they've gotten their technical problems behind them here. We saw that reporting from The Washington Post earlier today that they felt they did not need to pay the ransom that was being demanded by the hackers because they had a technical solution uh, to the situation that didn't require them getting the encryption keys from the hackers. And this may be the news that President Biden was talking about a short time ago when he said he was predicting some good news here uh, over the next 24 hours. So Colonial now saying it has already begun the restart process, though it might take several days for all of the the supply issues to work themselves through the supply chain, Melissa. All
3: right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Jabbers. Coming up, we're breaking down today's sell-off with the four most important charts in the market, what they are and why they could be key to where we are headed next. Plus, Calling all bargain hunters. There are some deep discounts out there. We've got five beaten down names. Find out if any are worth a second look. But first, the chairwoman does the unthinkable. (laughs) Karen, ringing the register on one of her favorite parts of the market, part of her position at least. What she sold, why it got all of our attention today. Stick around. Fast money. Be right back.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now,
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the bank shares under pressure in today's sell-off. And we have a major trade alert. One of our traders just did what we thought was the unthinkable. Karen, we're calling it unthinkable because she trimmed her position in one of the big banks. So, Karen, walk us through what you sold today and why.
5: Yeah. So I sold some Bank America today. A couple of reasons why. One, you know, I'm uh, overweight sort of in the in the space. So I needed to trim some. They've done well. Um, One of so a few big reasons. One is the relative valuation has jumped. And I I think we have a chart. Banks never traded the same P.E. multiple as the market, but the relative valuation has been getting closer. So they've been getting relatively more expensive. So that's changed. The second one, I think we're going to see a decline in investment banking from what we saw in the last couple of quarters, where the SPAC frenzy was just like nothing we had seen. That clearly has slowed. I think uh, refinancings might slow. So I think that's one element of the big money center banks that will be slow. The third thing, um, there was an interesting article in The Wall Street Journal about this today, is credit card paydowns. So people have money now, and they're paying down their credit card balances at paces that we haven't seen. And that, this is a really good line of business for banks. And so if, they're pay, if people are paying those down, the growth there isn't going to be quite as good. Bank of America has a relatively large credit card loan portfolio. So uh, it's been a really good one. You know, I went back and checked, and over the four and a half years that I've owned it, it's been about a 25 and a half percent uh, Annualized rate of return, which is really good. Um, So, and Brian Moynihan, who I really, you know, I thought was, didn't want him to be chairman and CEO and did a whole thing about that. He's actually, I think he's done a really good job here. Um, And so, for those reasons, I had to sell it. And last, you know, the question is, why not JPM, right? Well, it's a little cheaper and, you know, Jamie. So, in the valuation there, that's sort of an intangible that uh, I'm. (laughs) still long JPM. Certainly is for you, Karen. I'm not Karen. totally out of Bank of America. Right, right. But Tim, you own Bank of America. Right. Restraining order makes it intangible.
3: Tim, um, you own Bank of America. What do you think of Karen's reasoning?
1: Well, first of all, I'm blushing for Jamie right now. Um, and and I, like, Karen's reasoning is much smarter than mine would be. Yesterday, I trimmed a little bit of Bank of America pre-open, uh, and it's much simpler. I, I, I look at it, a 45 percent relative outperformance uh, Bank of America to the S&P in, in the same period that I talked about that the S&P overall had done 26% um, and therefore it's been an extraordinary run at the risk of Guy cutting my flowers and keeping my weeds. Um, I, I did think that this was a case where uh, I think people are going to look for stocks um, that they have profits in. But more importantly I, I actually think if the market is going to become as broken as we think because mm-hmm. inflation is the boogeyman um, at some point People have to be talking about credit issues. And I think banks are, are are going to be exposed to that when we actually feel that rates are moving higher. Credit sensitivity for the consumer and for corporates is out there. It's just not time. But that was, again, it was a relative yeah. outperformance that's been extraordinary that had me take a couple chips off. Not well, a lot, but a couple.
3: What's been curious over the past couple days, Guy, and I mentioned the KRE, the regional bank ETF, is that it was down 2.5%. Um, with a specter of rising rates, of rates rising beyond where they are now. Um, And to me, you know, that used to be the driver of the trade. Rates go up, banks go up. um, And that seems to be, there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect at this point.
4: Yeah, that diminishing, you know, that point Mm -hmm. on the graph, diminishing marginal returns. And maybe that's where we're at in terms of the yield curve. I'm not sure. I'll say this quickly just about the Bank of America thing. First of all, dead flowers, great stone song, grateful dead, Yes. Not even in my top yes. 100 bands, number one. Number two, I mean, Bank of America, when we start doing this show, in January of 2007, this is the highest this Bank of America has been since 2007. Wow. So great timing by Karen. And oh, by the way, um, they reported earnings, I think, on April 15th. Tangible book in Bank of America, Karen, can speak to this, $21. I mean, it's effectively trading two times tangible book which is nosebleed territory for Bank of America. It's cheap for JPM for the reasons that Karen cited. It's expensive for BAC. Good for Karen and Tim.
3: Coming up, there is a sale on the street. That's right, some big names well off their 52-week highs, and our traders are going bargain hunting in these beaten down stocks. we got the trade straight ahead. Plus, Guy Adami is calling this the most important chart in the market. What does it mean and where are we headed from here? We'll break it all down next. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. A major sell-off rocking Wall Street. The Dow got dumped. Tech got wrecked. Bitcoin got bludgeoned, and precious metals they melted. So where are we headed from here? Each of our traders has the one chart they are watching for a clue. So let's go around the horn. Tim, kick us off.
1: I think it's Apple. Look, if you define the market by the S and P or the Nasdaq, you know the weightings. It's you know it's it's six percent almost S and P, north of ten percent for the Nasdaq 100. Um, and today, Apple closed at or. Just below uh, the 200-day moving average, which it hasn't closed below since really May of 2019, if you to the downside unless if you can remove, and I think you can for this discussion, the downdraft from COVID, which was a down spike for obvious reasons. Again, this is a company that just three weeks ago, a month ago, gave you some of the best numbers they have ever put out. It's a company that's got $205 billion of cash on the balance sheet. They're in a 5G super cycle, uh, 26% services growth. We know the story. I don't need to get into it. But this stock, not since May of 2019, also sell in May month, um, had you had this kind of a down move in a stock that was 65 percent ago in the stock, by the way. Um, so that concerns me. It concerns me because I think it's it's also the psyche of the market. And a lot of retail investors is tied up into Apple. Mm.
3: Steve Grasso, what is your chart and why?
1: Oh,
6: it's got to be. We, we just spent 30 minutes talking about inflation and talking about yields. It's got to be the 10 year yield going back to 1981. We haven't been in an up cycle. For rates since 1981 if you look at the chart you don't even have to be a technician it's been a series of dramatically lower highs and lower lows and i don't think that we have to worry about inflation running out of control and i think is this is what the ch- uh, chairman looks at this is what chair powell looks at he's not wor- worried about it and we're not worried about it so i don't think the market should be worried about it obviously if you're an overvalued tech stock or if you're something where you have no earnings then you have to be worried but if you're restarting the economy put your money in value don't worry about inflation spiking out of control because we haven't seen it for the last 40 years (laughs) all right
5: karen what's your chart so my chart is actually somewhat similar along the same vein as steve's chart my chart is uh the five-year five-year this thanks to andy constant for this chart the five-year five-year is what do what is the expectation five years from now about five-year inflation forward so in 2026 what are people expecting 2031 inflation to be and clearly it's higher than where it was from the chart you can see where we were in the pandemic but it's not crazy crazy runaway high and the fed has told us and i think steve leeson was getting to this this is something that they really look at because it, it sort of ignores the noise of the short term And it looks further out. Where are inflation expectations going to be further out? So similar to Steve, I think we'll see inflation. I don't think it's going to go crazy. Um, And if you're a super high flyer, that's problematic. But some inflation, I think, is okay or even good. Just looking at this chart more carefully, Karen, I mean,
3: tell me if I'm reading this correctly. It implies that five-year forward expectations of inflation are at the highest level they've been in the time span of that chart. That seems like that would not yes, be necessarily right. a good thing.
5: Right. But think about it. this is with the economy restarting, right? Um, and I know we, they're trying to ignore some of the short term, but we've seen this in the past and the Fed hasn't hasn't tightened in those except in 2018 when they did around here and they ended up saying that was a mistake. We shouldn't have done it. Mm. So if you think this chart shows the Fed should tighten, I don't agree with that. Got it. Okay. Guy, what's your chart?
4: Well, I'm going to buy something on the line for the first time soon, and I'm sure I'm going to do it on the Amazon. And it's interesting. Two quarters ago, Steve said you fade the move to the upside. He was spot on. But this last quarter was a remarkable quarter by any metric you look at for Amazon. And I was pretty convinced we'd take out that September 2nd high of 3550. Well, as Carter Worth says, to the penny, We traded up there and failed. You have a massive double top in Amazon. It has not traded well at all since earnings. That 29.50 or so level from, I think, March 8th is in the crosshairs. To me, um, you know, Tim brought up Apple. I think Amazon is in that same vein. You lose Apple, you lose Amazon, you can start losing the broader market. So to me, I look at Amazon and say this right now is the most important chart in the market.
3: Are you really buying something on the line? I mean, you waited all throughout the pandemic until after no, you're vaccinated and then not. you're going to buy something online? I just online. Wanted,
4: to get, I wanted to get
3: Bezos excited that he had a new customer, but no, I'm okay. not. All right, the truth comes out. Coming up, we're going bargain hunting following today's sell-off. But should you trade or fade some of these beaten down stocks? we got the details next. Plus, Disney's on deck. Can the House of the Mouse deliver some earnings magic? Stick around to find out. Much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks tanking today as inflation concerns ramped up on Wall Street, and a ton of names are well off their 52-week high. So we thought it might be a good time to do some bargain hunting in a good old-fashioned game of trade it or fade it. So let's kick things off with Qualcomm. It is uh, more than 25% off its 52-week high. Grasso, trade it or fade it? I'm
6: going to trade this one. This one is actually holding support in the charts all the way back to October 2020. We know what the headwinds are. Apple's going away from them, making their own chips. We've known this for years. I shouldn't be spooked. The market shouldn't be spooked from this. Internet of things, automotive, uh, automotive demand is going to be a tailwind for them. The market will and has started to digest this. It's held support. I think we're going to be okay here. Trade it.
5: Karen, your take. Well, I'm fading kind of the whole space. Right. But the semiconductor, I mean, just annihilated. If I had to pick one, it might be Qualcomm. It's coming a lot. They had that good earnings. I think it was April 28th. But it is in I don't know how much since then, maybe 15 percent or more. So fade it unless you hold a gun to my head, which is a different game entirely. Then I would (laughs) maybe buy something.
3: Okay. (laughs) Let's move on to Salesforce. The stock is now down more than 25 percent, 26 percent from its high. So, Tim, trade or face CRM?
1: Yeah, a reluctant trader on this one. And, and I, I understand where software stocks have been. And, and we've all talked about this at some point tonight or recently about high multiple stocks that don't make money. This is a higher multiple stock, but obviously significantly off its highs. One of the things I love about CRM, first of all, they are a major leader. They've made a ton of acquisitions with a very expensive stock as a currency that now look even more accretive. So I think the integration dynamics around CRM, uh, I think look, they are best in breed, best in class. And I think they have uh, the kind of scale. Uh, to go through a downdraft in terms of the broader market. Their business is booming. Guy, your move. Fade it. And see, I just came right out and said, it. Well and done. I also want
4: to know why we don't have more nice. Reese's kids, you know, trade it. Or Remember that part? Like, that's how we lead into this. The kids were fantastic. <laughs> we've got a, we've but we got didn't a market sell off.
3: The market's maybe even in turmoil right oh, now. So, uh, we can't play oh, out. So, we can't, oh, and all that so stuff
4: we can't all here. So we can't be playing. So we can play, play the game, straight, but we yeah. can't use the sensitive. Right. No, look, the stock topped out in last August, 285. It's been a series of lower lows and lower highs ever since. Valuation all of a sudden is a concern. And, oh, by the way, there are people catching up in the space, not least of which has been Oracle, which is the O and the Hope trade. So I think you faded into earnings on May 27th, I believe.
3: All right, let's move on to a social stock, Twitter. That stock is down more than 4% today, off um, by 37% from its 52-week high. So, Karen, would you trade it or fade it? I would fade it. I would fade it. I'd be on Facebook instead. Very, very succinct. Tim, what's your take? the interesting thing is that, you know, Kathy Wood went in here with Twitter down, and so did Elliott. So it's got, you know, kind of different uh, constituents.
1: Well, for, for fundamental reasons, I care more about Elliott's role. Mm-hmm. And, and look, um, this is a stock that took the elevator up and took the elevator down to use these terms that we sometimes use often it's an escalator but this stock was a rocket uh, both out of uh, two earnings quarters ago and also their investor day where we talked about new products and we talked about doubling revenue look um, the ad space for all of the social media uh, I think has a tremendous tailwind Twitter is making moves after the sell-off look it's been ugly ugly um, but this is a stock with I, I think enormous value and, and is yeah, you know, has got a lot of scars on it over the last month and a half to show for it.
3: All right, let's wrap it up here with Penn National. That is down a whopping uh, 46% from its 52-week high. Guy, trade it or fade it?
1: Yeah, traded. it, but I
4: would have said this, you know, 15 or 20% ago. I've got to be honest with this one. I'm surprised at how poorly it's traded. You know, when the Caesars announcement came out, I thought Penn would do really well, and for a day or so it was spot on. The stock has traded awful ever since, but this secular tailwind is not going away. Listen, the stock has been awful but I think you got to step in and trade it here.
3: Steve Grosso, your take on Penn. I'm going to say fade it. I'll take the other side of that. It hasn't
6: been below its 200-day moving average since back, since back in May uh, 2020, uh, basically. This is the, the bullseye for what the market is, is shedding right now. High multiple stocks, high growth stocks. This is one I think you have to fade. All right.
3: Still ahead? We've got your setup for tomorrow. Disney on deck with earnings while Gwen we Options Traders betting it might not be happily ever after for this stock. Plus, our traders are breaking out their buy sell list as we gear up for tomorrow's open. The key names we are watching. Stay with us. Fast back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney falling 2% today as a company gears up for earnings tomorrow. Let's bring in Mike Coe with the options setup ahead of the big report. Mike, what would you see?
7: Yeah, so taking a look at Disney options today, we saw calls outpacing puts by about 1.5 to 1. That might normally seem bullish, but actually that has averaged more than 2 to 1 over the last 20 days, so somewhat less bullish there. And right now, the options market's implying a move of about 4.5%. That's somewhat more than the 3.4% that the stock has averaged over the last eight quarters. And interestingly, the most active options were actually the June 180 puts. Over 7,000 of those traded for an average price of about $7.10. Of course, the stock was trading down throughout the day. So ultimately, they were paying closer to $8.60 for those. And buyers of those puts are obviously betting that the stock is going to fall after earnings and over the course of the next few weeks and could fall three and a half, four percent 4% or more over that time span.
3: With a forward P of 61, Tim, what is the bigger focus on this call for you? The streaming side of the business, which is obviously the high growth but smaller part, or sort of the reopen side of the business, parks, et cetera?
1: I think the streaming side of the business is the part that gives the more support to the stock. And, and again, there's a lot to talk about. They're, they're, they're going to talk about. Uh, you know, 14 to 16 billion in content spend between now and 2024, with probably 10 billion of that going to Disney Plus, possibly where they can be folding in Hulu and 100 percent ownership of of that asset, um, you know, where Star is a big part of it. So I I just think they're going to focus on their content. Content is king. Uh, I think they they overshot to the downside on parks. I think they got maybe too much of a boost on the opening from that. I want to hear the streaming. That's been the that's been the driver for the stock's valuation.
3: What do you think of the valuation, Karen, in this environment?
5: Well, to Tim's point, it's sort of interesting. If these were two standalone companies, right, Mm -hmm. the streaming and then the parks, all the super sensitive reopen trade. So I think what's happened is that streaming has traded down a lot, right, because I think the parks trade would have gone berserk, hotels, cruises, parks, obviously. Um, And so... I think the streaming part is actually traded down. Is it a bargain? I don't know. But I mean, it is a premier name for sure. It's not crazy valuation. It is not. Even in you know, uh, with rates going up and potential multiples coming down, it's not a crazy valuation here. All right. Mike
3: Coe, thank you for that. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, after today's sea of red on wall street what is in store for thursday the traders will tell us how they are setting up after one of the worst market sessions in months stay tuned welcome back here's a sneak peek at the kramer cam jim is sitting down with the ceo of norton lifelock one of the few tech stocks seen games this week catch that full interview top of the hour on mad money well it was a red day on Wall Street. All three major indices falling hard. The Dow dropping nearly 700 points. Its worst day since January. So following a big sell-off like today's, what are you looking for tomorrow? Guy, what's in your, uh, on your watch list? Obviously, the
4: resource trade. You know, Steve talks about it all the time. When the market goes down like this, 70 75% of the stocks go with it. Well, today, the resource trade gave it up. Big morning uh, to the upside, gave it all back in the afternoon. I'm watching names like USDL, CLF freeport MacMoran. see if they get off the mat tomorrow and continue their moves higher.
1: Was this a buying opportunity, Tim? I think so. And again, you know, my my buy list would be somewhat similar in that that like, I would be looking at industrial companies that have strong valuations and have great tailwinds. You know, I would be talking about auto companies, Ford and GM. I would be talking about all services. If if those are not rallying and those are getting thrown out, it's a broader risk off. So, yeah, I mean, guys right to be sniffing out trades that should work with today's inflation numbers. If they're not, um, you know, maybe it's you know, they've had big runs. And again, maybe it's time to, to take something off. But I'm not going to do that tomorrow.
3: Yeah. Steve, what are you watching to tell you that that the market trend is still higher and that the trades you're in are still good buys or, or, you know, maybe there's some indicators that will tell you that it's time to throw out, you know, throw in the towel, so to speak, or or trim some risk? The S&P cash, uh, I'm looking at
6: that level, the 50 day moving average of 40, 50 in the S&P cash. We tested it today at 354 to be exact in the afternoon six minutes before the bell if that level holds I think you're gonna see an end to this blanket selling and you could get back into those names the that we talked about in the earlier uh, earlier on the show the value names the industrials the financials the energy names I think you're gonna see that switch into value but the S&P cash has to hold or else you are gonna see the blanket selling again tomorrow
5: Karen what are you watching so a couple of things, the VIX, and uh, if we have big whoosh down tomorrow, I would be a seller of S&P puts, which is painful and hard to do, but north of 30, I would be a seller. I was a buyer on the close today of Facebook and Google. When you ask today, is this a buying opportunity? I think it is. It could be a much better buying opportunity tomorrow. That certainly could happen. It happens to me all the time. i too early. But I do, I'd actually rather have that because that would allow me to buy things that down the road I would be happy owning. If we have up big tomorrow, I'll make some money, but I won't be able to add things that I'll make money on down the road. So yeah, yeah. Facebook, Alphabet. Guy, Steve's chart
3: before was a 10-year yield. So in terms of levels for tomorrow, I mean, we're, we're really close to 174, which was that level in March that caused a lot of problems for the markets. Does that have more significance this time around, breaking that level or going to that level?
4: Yeah, I think it does. I think Steve's right to point it out. 133 TLT, if you're playing the home game, if you're using that as the metric, um, absolutely. I, I, By the way, I'm with Steve. I thought we should have taken it out given the numbers today, but maybe it's just the lag effect, and maybe you saw some sort of absurd flight to quality in the form of bonds that kept them from going through 175. That said, if you're looking for a flight to quality in bonds, I think you're looking in the wrong places. It's like that uh, Garth Brooks song.
3: I was just thinking that. <laughs> No, I know you were. (laughs) Coming up, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour.
1: Yeah, again, Ford Motor Company. We just had great numbers. We know all about their chip shortage and the impact that's had on the stock. The the fundamentals are great otherwise. And and, uh, that's the name I want to buy on more weakness. Steve Grasso.
6: Sonos, beaten, raised, I'm still long it, going higher.
3: Karen Feinerman. Yeah, going home again with the girl that brought me, Google. <laughs> Guy Adami. Terry Duffy, stud,
4: CME, 52-week high, and with a whisper of the January 2020 all-time high, CME goes higher from here. Yeah,
3: and we know he's watching. Hey, Terry. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.